0: This is Fantastic Books and How to Read Them.
1: The fantasy book review podcast for fantasy fanatics, book nerds, and lovers of lore and stories.
0: Covering some of the most beloved fantasy series, as well as brand new novels.
1: With your hosts, Sam and Anna Furman.
0: Let's see what we're reading this week. Welcome back, fantastic listeners. We are back covering... Mistborn by Brandon Sanderson, Episode 2, featuring Chapters 4 and 5.
1: Yes, originally we said we were going to be covering Chapters 4 through 6, but I think we bit off a little bit more than we can chew because this book has a lot to talk about. We've already been flipping through and noticing so many details just on the second read-through in preparation for this episode than we initially noticed when we were just reading it the first time through. So we're going to cut it down to just Chapters 4 and 5. But before we get into it, I have a couple of quick announcements. The first being that the podcast has reached 25,000 downloads. So thank you all so much for that.
0: Woo! So exciting. I can't believe we made this milestone in such a short amount of time. We are so thankful to anyone who's ever reached out to us, uh, to all the authors we've collaborated with. It has just been such a fun journey, and I can't wait to continue this journey with you all and see what adventures we uncover next.
1: Yes, I have had such an amazing time on this podcast, reading so many books, creating our own little community of fellow book nerds. And it's just been a really, really fun project and a great way to explore books and meet with new authors, make some new friends. And I can't wait to see where it continues to go. Our second announcement is because one of our listeners actually reached out to us wondering about Dragons of Autumn Twilight, because we obviously had said that that was going to be season three, and we switched for Mistborn. So right now, our plan is actually to cover Mistborn for season three. We're not going to cover the rest of the trilogy immediately after, but we are going to switch back and cover Dragons of Autumn Twilight for season four. So we just got bumped back one season. We do apologize because I know we really touted that for quite some time as being the books to follow Name of the Wind and Kingkiller Chronicles. We're just so into Mistborn right now uh, that we couldn't help ourselves. <laughs> yeah, it was
0: a little too good to pass up. However, fear not. Dragons without a Twilight is on the horizon.
1: Yeah, and I think because we have time to read that in advance, I'll probably read that on my own before we actually cover it on the podcast. So I'll have better insight for that book when we do get to to cover it for season four. And then that brings me to our third... Sort of announcement, I guess, a little bit of a segue is that we put up a poll on our last episode asking people their favorite characters in Mistborn, and I made the options based solely on which characters we had currently met up to the point Sam and I have read, which is which is up through chapter twenty three. But the options for the poll itself were
0: Vin, Kelsier, Sazed, Breeze, Elland, Yieden, and Ham.
1: <laughs> so i'm not sure everybody's fate or how much they're a part of the the series after chapter 23 because that's as far as we have read but so far the answers went to 20% vin 13% kelsier 47% Sazed, 7% breeze 13% elland and ham and Yeden both got 0% which <laughs> is no surprise to me what, based Eden on how Eden much get even... you stoked, <laughs> <laughs> I mean overthrowing the Empire in favor of the ska, yes, gets yeah. me stoked. He's a leader of that, but I love
0: how you read his voice out loud, too. You give him like the perfect like crusty gravel like
1: oh he- Eden. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's so good. <laughs> he's a bit of a
1: grumbler when I read his voice out loud, so I think what would be pretty fun to talk about is our favorite characters mm. I have a feeling we have the same favorite character, so on three, do you want to say who your favorite <laughs> character is? Yes. All right, ready? One, two, three. Sazen. Sazen. <laughs> yes, I do it. Also, apparently everybody else's favorite character, too.
0: Jinx, you owe me a <laughs>
1: <laughs> He's just such
0: a good character, and he's way more than just a supporting character, he very much has his own identity, perspective, obviously skill set, and it's just such an intriguing and complementary component to the plot.
1: I'm just so intrigued by his his powers and his version of Alamancy that we've sort of been hinted at and learned a little bit about up to the point where we're in the books. It seems like being a terraceman, he has access to the same like metal induced magical abilities, but they play out in a completely different way. We have since learned recently in our reading that he can store different traits in metal objects, which is why he wears like bracelets and cuffs and earrings. I feel like he's going to go so much further and he's going to be pivotal and really important in terms of how the world is shaped after the Lord Ruler is overthrown, if that ends up being what happens because he does store all this knowledge about the past and i think because he is so mysterious is why i really like him and i also appreciate his care towards vin and the fact that he's been sort of like a brother sort of like a father figure sort of like a friend like a good trifecta of like somebody you can really really count on which is something vin needs
0: yeah so I said the character is amazing i love what he stands for i think the backstory of like the keepers being victims of uh erasure yeah or is just so powerful and his perseverance and him fighting the good fight and just more than just his abilities but how important he is for the knowledge he keeps and you know how detrimental that is just for the succession of society in this post-apocalyptic world but he's a cool guy i really like him he's got style for days and oh yeah i
1: think lots of swag
0: yeah i think he's just such a intriguing character i think he's really cool
1: i think he's a very naturally cool person Mm. like breeze is very uppity Ham is a little over the top, I think, with his personality traits sometimes. Kelsier is very curated with the persona he puts off. Vin is still figuring out who she is. Sazad is just very like settled in his ways and comfortable with who he is. It is, but also like he has so many secrets hidden under the surface. So he's very interesting. Like his personality is straightforward. Maybe not
0: what you see, what is what you get, but he is very straightforward with like who he is.
1: Right, right. Like his personality is well-developed.
0: Yeah. I will say, though, I think my second favorite character is definitely Vin. I just really appreciate her perspective and personality in this, in this story so far, where I don't necessarily always agree with her decisions or thought process. I think she's a really fun character to read and kind of guess what her next move is going to be, because it's never what I think it's going to be.
1: I think that's fair. I feel like Vin, as the main character, has a little bit of that, like, main character syndrome where they're just, like, the plain one Mm. instead of... I always think of, like, that Arthur episode. This is such a weird reference where, like, Arthur (laughs) and all his friends are playing a computer game together and Francine is, like, the sporty one and Muffy's, like, the girly one. Like, they all have, like, their one little trait and then Arthur's, like, I guess I'm plain. (laughs) So I feel like because Vin is the main character, she's driving the plot so much that we don't always get a chance to get her personality. It is still developing quite a lot as the book goes on, so I haven't counted her out yet for sure. I think just because she's young and impressionable and so much is going on around her, we're focused more on like the events surrounding her than her thoughts and processes and I'm I'm just interested to see where she goes. I haven't really passed judgment on her yet.
0: Oh, yeah. She's just like getting through it because essentially where we pick her up in this beginning portion of the story, she's just been in survival mode this whole time and so cautious and scared and distrustful that it never gave her the luxury of having a personality. And now she has this opportunity to become whoever she wants to be. And that's a lot.
1: Right. I think I just because you and I have read ahead, we know like where she starts to go. And I'm just nervous for her. She's getting really caught up in her role in the group, which is infiltrating upper class society. And she's getting really focused on on that. And I don't know. I just feel like she's easily swayed. I'm nervous. for her. (laughs) Yeah, we
0: don't want to see her be a pawn in someone else's game.
1: Exactly. But I think that's probably a pretty good time to transition into talking about the actual chapters before we get too far ahead into the book analyses. So as we said, we were originally going to do chapters four through six. I think this is going to end up being chapters four through five. We'll see how long it takes us to get through those two chapters.
0: Chapter four.
1: So we had left Vin off with discovering that she is a Mistborn, which is huge and pivotal for her. And then,
0: oh, yeah, major revelation going from like I was just mentioning being in survival mode to you're one of the most powerful people in this world.
1: Exactly. That's life altering, shatters your whole idea of reality and and who you are and what you can and can't do. So in this opening scene, she's just processing information. The rest of her crew or Cayman's crew has come back to the lair because Kelsier's going to use it for a meeting later. But there's this little break in between. And so the other members of the crew are talking about like what is going on. So
0: They're all excited. Like, oh, they're planning a job. Apparently it's been in the works for a long time. It's got to be something big.
1: And I think that they are under the impression that Vin remained behind so she could be like the contact between their crew and Kelsier's crew. Because sometimes crews link up. And it's even mentioned in this part that there's... Regular crews and then there's like more upper class, quote unquote, like powerful crews and they can can go and work together. And then there's people who go in between called Twixts. So everybody thinks that Vin is the Twixt, Uh, like, you know, betwixt. So Olaf asks her why she was picked and what was the job about. And she just doesn't really have anything to say. I think she's literally just processing.
0: Not only that, but. Even in her mind, she's like, screw you, Ulef, because you sold me out to Cayman. True. And again, she does hear her brother's Reem's voice in her mind saying, you know, they're all going to hurt and betray you at one point. You know, this is the underground. Get used to this. Like, this is how it is.
1: Yeah, I'm really interested to see how often the things that Reem, like his thoughts in Vin's head, come true. In some sort of roundabout way, mm. or if they become less and less common in her her mind as the book goes on, like if she thinks about him less.
0: Yeah. Uh, one thing I thought was really interesting too, just as a reader, where everyone's like, "Why did they pick you be the Twixt anyways?" And I'm like, "Oh, you poor misguided fool! Like <laughs> she's the queen, and you're the sorry people."
1: Yeah, she is, and not the Twixt anymore.
0: Vin is asking about Kelsier, and everyone is kind of revealing what they know of him in the mystique and intrigue that is Kelsier.
1: Right. So people know that he's, quote unquote, the survivor of Hathsin, which is also the name of part one of the book. And Hathsin is these, like, pits. They talk about how Kelsier was sent to these pits, him and his wife.
0: And no one ever makes it out alive, but he had... And prior to that, he was the best crew leader in Luthadel, and he robbed some of the wealthiest great houses in the city.
1: But then people start talking about how he's different now that he's come back from the pits. Not only does he have these scars all up and down his arms, which they debate how he got those. Some say it's because he killed an Inquisitor and he was fighting the Inquisitor. Um, you know, one of the the creatures with the steel bolts through its eyes. Or some people said he got them at the pits, um, climbing out to escape. So there's all these different rumors going around about the scars. But then there's also people talking about how he's not human in the way he was anymore. He's Mistborn. And people aren't really sure how he became Mistborn, because he wasn't when he went in. He was just regular Ska. He was very clever and a very good crew chief, but not... Anything more than just a regular Scott.
0: Right. And so after his time in the pits of Hatson, he became an alomancer, and no one knows how or why, except for we find out later on, but it's pretty cool and adds to the-
1: Like legend?
0: Yeah, that's a perfect word I was looking for.
1: Right. So it's- you and I know how he became an that He talks about how anyone who has alomantic abilities hidden deep inside of them- a, you have to have noble blood because it is supposed to be limited just to just the nobility. So he and Vin are quote unquote half breeds, but then also you have to have a traumatic event that results in something called snapping, which is what yeah. activates your yeah abilities. It like
0: awakens it within inside you, and so I want to wait till we uncover that in the plot because both uh, Kelsier and Vin's stories are really sad traumatic but important in the way that they shape them
1: one thing i'm interested about is if this is limited to the nobility and you have to snap in order to access your powers right so not all nobility have it are they purposely putting noble kids into scary and traumatic situations to try to get like coax allomantic abilities out of some of them right
0: i was considering that like they have all this power prestige and privilege
1: or is it because they are full-blooded noble as it were do they not need to snap to access this power
0: right i was like what kind of circumstances would they really have to endure if they live such comfortable lives
1: right like it seems like they all live lives of luxury so would it be like a training that they are put in that tries to push the ability out of them Versus like a natural traumatic event that occurs to somebody. Mm. Anyway, not particularly important, just interested in like the nature of the magic of the world.
0: Yeah, good speculating.
1: As all the crew members are chatting, Vin is sitting there trying to think about what's going on with her future. And she says this really important line. Do you want to read it?
0: Yeah, it's really good. The line goes, Vin was coming to realize that her old goal in life, simply staying alive, was uninspired. There's so much more she could be doing. She had been a slave to Reen. She had been a slave to Cayman. She would be a slave to this Kelsier too, if it would lead her to her eventual freedom.
1: So that's Vin's character motivation in a nutshell right there. I think it changes as time goes on, but she is so untrusting of people. And even just a couple of paragraphs before, she's got this blurb in her mind from Reen, who's always you know, needling his way into her her thoughts, which is never trust a man who tells you good news. It's the oldest but easiest way to con someone. So I think that's pretty important for her to remember because she is getting all this really good news and she is extremely skeptical of her new position in life and how that's going to play out for her. And I think it's going well like she she does eventually get a place on Kelsier's crew and everything but I am a little bit concerned about how good Kelsier is when he explains news to people in general. I think he's a sugar coder.
0: Oh, for sure. And one thing I really appreciate about Vin too is that she's very distrustful or mistrusting. Um I like the fact that she's going into this thinking like oh you know i'm beholden to kelsier i'll do what he wants in order to gain power and earn my freedom but she quickly learns that kelsier treats her like an equal and that it's a partnership and not
1: she's not like under his umbrella
0: right and she's not subservient and i think that it's really exciting to see it more than just the master and apprentice relationship but they're friends yeah (laughs) but like more than that they're like peers and like on the same level
1: yeah i think it's important and i think because she's so young sometimes she gets discounted but Kelsier does do a good job of treating vin equally and fairly and giving her a lot of chances and the ability to think and act on her own which she hasn't ever really been able to do without consequence Mm. let's get into the next part of this chapter when Kelsier's crew uh all make their appearances i guess you could say <laughs> what
0: an entrance for ham and breeze
1: yeah so all of the members of Cayman's crew leave it's just vin again and it's time for kelsey's secret meeting so the first person who comes in looks like a soldier he has a sleeveless shirt he's pretty muscular he's got close cropped hair and very strong arms. And then his companion is quite the opposite, I would say, dressed very richly. He's got a dueling cane. He's older and very a bit. Very
0: genteel. A bit
1: portly, he's described. And I love that these two are friends because they are quite opposite in personality and ability and appearance. Because Ham, the first person, he is a thug, right? So he can burn pewter.
0: Yep, and that amplifies his strength.
1: And he has a whole crew of other people who work for him, other other pewter burners who... Uh, he's sort of like the leader of, of those mistings. And then Breeze is someone who can burn brass.
0: Right, and so these two definitely are opposites, but they tend to somehow be complementary when they're together.
1: <laughs> they make a pretty good entrance... Ham, oh, sorry. Breeze immediately starts to use his alimantic abilities to manipulate Vin. He is very much about, like, living in luxury, and he always wants a cup of wine in his hand. Always the
0: decadence, and it's funny where, although Hammond goes by Ham, Breeze is the epitome of a ham. (laughs) (laughs) I love Breeze's character. I feel... Like, if I had his abilities, I would very much be, like, a breeze. So I get it. And He's
1: kind of lazy.
0: Yeah, but it's all, why do the work when I can have everyone else do it for me?
1: True. So, when And then Ham, who's, like, super strong, weirdly is very into philosophy and ethics and morals.
0: Yeah, it's just very more than meets the eye type of characters.
1: <laughs> So Breeze asks Vin to get him wine before she halfway through doing this realizes that she's being manipulated using what she had originally thought of as luck, but now realizes is allomancy. And she is able to resist him. She puts the the wine down and immediately confronts him and says, like, you pulled on my emotions with allomancy. Breeze, of course, is like, oh, no, no, I didn't pull on them. I pushed on them. So they immediately get into this discourse about abilities and different ways that alamancy works.
0: Yeah. And breeze even says like, "Oh, I wouldn't say I made you do it. I just pushed on your emotions and, you know, it was more just to uh influence the action rather than forcing you to." And that's when Ham comes in and starts saying like, "You know, are you taking her ability away to choose? Does that mean she's under your control? Like, you know, what does this all mean?" As a philosophical standpoint, and Breeze just says, you know, I offer her encouragement, and that's all.
1: (laughs) Ham is the one who questions the morality of things Mm. and the order of the world. Because later on, he starts to question the entire plot that they've put together in terms of its morality and its effect on societal structure. And sowing that seed of doubt within the group, I think is going to be a huge plot point. We haven't really seen that play out yet, but he is someone who likes to really needle at the meaning of things and the questioning of free will and and human intention and and a lot of like philosophical issues he brings up periodically as just talking points, but they start to become more important as time goes on.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. And I think that's a really important thing, because as we see the plot develop and, you know, where they go with this, it then becomes a point of, are we doing the right thing? Are the right people in charge? Can we even trust those in charge to do the right thing?
1: Right. It becomes quite an ethical conundrum.
0: So I don't want to give too much of that away because it's about to be unveiled. Um, That being said, as him and Breeze are having their little quip match with vin they keep mentioning how uneasy and nervous she is because they don't realize like up until this point again she's lived like a street urchin her whole life and she's not trusting of anyone
1: well so like an hour ago Kamen was trying to kill her yeah she's coming off of quite an emotional roller coaster and she's now in a place with two men who she doesn't know and I think men have never given her a reason to trust them so she feels on guard absolutely as well as also very direct in terms of asking them questions and so they are answering a lot of her questions about their different abilities which has been a good way I think in terms of exposition to explain the different allomantic abilities because up until this point in the book if you hadn't flipped the appendix in the back that tells you all of the different metals and what they can do you wouldn't actually know the extent of the eight metals and which metal corresponds with which power
0: no and i think brandon sanderson does a very good job of doing this without it feeling too spoon feedy and you are discovering this world and its powers along with vin Mm -hmm. so it feels very engaging and not very uh like a lecture
1: right it's not like reading a textbook of like and then here are the eight medals and here's how they work like it just comes organically in the conversation and you said last episode you really thought his dialogue was good
0: oh i think his dialogue in conversations between characters Are Some of the best I've seen in writing in a long time because they fulfill a purpose to the plot and more than just either accomplishing actions. It's just very, it's a very subtle art and it's not always done well in books. And I find that every conversation with characters so far has been very intentional and served a purpose.
1: I think on top of that the dialogue just feels natural. It feels like a conversation between friends or in this case a conversation between strangers and he changes the dialogue to match the relationship of the characters having the dialogue without it still being like too stiff or too silly or too f- it flows very naturally. Like you said it's all very intentional. He in this case, you know, he's giving us a lot of information about alamancy but also developing the characters at the same time. I really like it. One thing that gets dropped into this conversation right at the beginning, which is hilarious, is that they say that Kelsier is likely to be the only Ska Mistborn that she ever meets. (laughs) And Obviously, Vin is a Ska Mistborn. I just thought it was a a good moment of irony.
0: (laughs) Um, We do get introduced to another character, uh, another component of the crew who is Clubs, and he is a smoker. He has the ability to hide Alamancy or a group of alimancers from those who could detect them.
1: Yeah, Clubs is essential to the plot. They end up using his shop as their headquarters because he and his apprentices have a woodworking shop as like their cover, but all of them are smokers, so they can run the whole operation out of their shop without ever getting sensed as a place where people are using Alamancy.
0: And also a important... Additional skill that uh, smokers have is that they one can hide if someone is using alamancy, but they're also protected from emotional alamancy.
1: Oh, I forgot about that. That's a good point. Good point. Good point.
0: So, so clubs
1: himself is a sort of a grumpy old man stereotype. Oh, he is, like,
0: crusty. <laughs> he just seems like an ancient, gruff, like crabby. He kind of reminds me of, like, a, a gnarled old tree.
1: Yeah, it says his face is knotted and gnarled, like a twisted piece of wood, which is a great description of somebody I can absolutely picture. Just this, like, wrinkled, leathered, scowling face.
0: <laughs> My mind just goes to the grandmother oak in uh, Pocahontas.
1: Oh, Grandmother Willow? Yeah. <laughs> it is kind of interesting, too, because he has a woodworking shop. Mm-hmm. So, he, uh, he's very woody i don't know (laughs) (laughs) so clubs is not particularly friendly no breeze even mentions that he's going to miss his character called trap who apparently was their smoker before so even though kelsier is quote-unquote getting the band back together not all of the members are the same as the original crew And Clubs is a new addition to to this iteration of the thieving crew he's putting together.
0: Right, and I feel like it's by necessity rather than by choice.
1: Oh, exactly. But I think it all works out pretty well. Mm -hmm. The reason she gets the information about Clubs being a smoker is because she straight up asks Breeze and Ham. Like She kind of sits at the table with them, makes herself a little bit at home, and is very direct. And they say that they really like it. They call her a crumb. They say usually crumbs are... Not particularly chatty or just just end up sitting off by themselves. They're like twixts. Vin's kind of inserting herself here. Yeah. She's getting the information that she wants. And as she's sitting there, Breeze asks who that they're waiting for besides Kelsier and Dachshund. And the only person left that they're waiting for, him says, is Yeadon. Yeadon comes in a few minutes later. And I had imagined him old. I think he's just a weary person yeah he's got a lot on his shoulders
0: have definitely taken its toll on him
1: right so he's the head of the ska rebellion he's got simple gray clothing he doesn't really stand out but he's just kind of grumpy and scowling and he doesn't look at anyone who's in there he keeps to himself but this is essentially the whole crew
0: yeah, it's, I do imagine Yedin as an old guy, and I know he's not necessarily described as an old man, but...
1: He's like Kovoth and Coat. Yeah. Coat being much older appearing than he actually is.
0: Mm, mm. Good parallel. I like it.
1: But I think it's because Yedin is very serious, and he, he has a lot on his plate in terms of managing the Ska Rebellion, and it's also... Life as a Ska sucks, <laughs> so... <laughs> He's definitely a bit beaten down. Oh, yeah. He comes around later on, but the first probably half of the book I would say, he's a bit of a grump. Oh, for sure. And very skeptical.
0: Listen, rebelling against the Lord Ruler really takes it out on you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Super exhausting. It's
0: a full-time job.
1: I mean, on top of your regular full-time job of being a ska.
0: He's exhausted. <laughs>
1: Anyway, so he's the last member of the crew and then Kelsier and Dachshund finally arrive and classic Kelsier just setting his own pace and his own tune says, I hate being made to wait after he just made everybody else wait.
0: I know. He's such a, I mean, he is a hand, but he's more than that. I don't know how to describe him. I Kelsier. don't know how to,
1: I think he's a showman.
0: Yeah. There's just so much whimsy.
1: But also, like, no one would contradict him in that moment. Yeah. Like, he's the ringmaster here. So the reason that Kelsier and Doxen are late is because they were visiting Kelsier's brother, Marsh, who does not join them. He eventually joins the crew later on, but he's a bit of a mysterious character for a while. We don't know much about him. We just know that he and Kelsier seem to have a bit of friction between the two of them. They don't get along the best.
0: No, and it definitely implied a little bit of a rivalry and that there's animosity.
1: Mm. And I think that's going to play out we do meet Marsh. There is animosity, I think. I don't want to talk about the causes of it just yet. I think there's multiple aspects to it.
0: Oh, for sure.
1: But I'd like to talk about that when we meet Marsh later on. I think mm. it'll be more important then. But Kelsey, like I said, being ever the showman, stands up, waves his hands towards Eden, and tells everybody to meet their new employer. <laughs> so nobody's happy about this news. People are quite shocked. Breeze immediately says he's surprised because he thought Yidon didn't like our type very much. We already get the idea that Yiden is anti Alamancy, anti mistborn and misting.
0: I thought it meant more anti thieving crews. Like if he's gonna rebel against the Lord Ruler, he wants to do it in a heroic and uh straightforward fashion and that he doesn't want to resort to trickery thievery or anything that's uh less than honorable which is kind of foolish because there's no way with might alone are they going to overthrow the lord ruler so they are gonna have to rely on these type of tactics
1: no but i think it's a very classic conflict of good versus evil evil will stoop to cheating or lying or enslaving things that the good guys wouldn't ever do and that's what sets them apart. So mm. if you're going to try to overthrow the lord ruler but you're going to fight dirty, what's the point? I think is sort of how Yiden feels. He's an upstanding person and I think I think maybe we're both correct on that point. Like I think he doesn't like them because they are a thieving crew, but I think he also doesn't like them because with their Allomantic abilities they've made themselves into sort of an upper-class thieving crew, and they don't share any of their wealth or their profit with the other Ska. They've they've set themselves apart in an almost social class differentiation.
0: Even though Yeadon does not like this crew and is hesitant to hire them, He does need their services in order to raise an army to overthrow the Lord Ruler and the final empire. Mic drop. Huge
1: plot point. So this is essentially the plot of the whole book.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. They think this mighty band of misfits are going to somehow take down this unstoppable empire that's lasted a millennia.
1: Yeah, I don't really know what they think they're going to be doing, and I know they outline all the parts of their plot later, but I can see this just unraveling very, very quickly.
0: Have you ever done a group project in school? (laughs) Nothing ever works out.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we can't really necessarily rely on all of them to do all their parts perfectly, even though this crew relies on trust and the power of friendship to prevail.
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's very much that vibe and vin is not here for it she doesn't trust anyone she's never known a crew to trust one another everybody betrays everybody in the underworld
1: right so she has always got her guard up this is a very foreign concept to her but also the idea of overthrowing the final empire is foreign to everybody in this crew people are shocked and dismayed when Kelsier says it out loud for the first time and presents this idea to them.
0: Yeah, the fact that the Lord Ruler is considered a god and called the Sliver of Infinity. I love that. Oh, so cool.
1: So I've read some of Brandon Sanderson's other books, not to derail what we're talking about right now, and he he uses similar terminology and similar ideas. So I've read his Infinity Blade series, which Ooh. is actually a companion to a video game. So it might be slightly different. I've also read Warbreaker or parts of it, and he always has these like Lord Rulers or God Kings or like this kind of like dual phrase for whoever's in charge. And one thing we have not brought up yet on the podcast is the fact that a good chunk of his books take place in the same universe, the Cosmere and whatever this, like, if he's the sliver of infinity, I think, like, the infinity is something bigger that's part of this universe.
0: Yes. And I'm so glad you brought it up. And I don't want to derail. However, when you uh, however, brought this up However, we're going to derail. To me, I know. All right. Quick <laughs> field trip. So, I absolutely love this concept. And I didn't even realize it until you had showed me the little article thing about it. And the fact that- Brandon Sanderson has written all these different stories and yet they are within the same universe and that there are reoccurring characters that appear in the stories from other books as like little easter eggs and waypoints of connecting plots I think is fascinating and I am so excited to continue with this series and eventually read others and build my Charlie Day yarn conspiracy wall (laughs) to see how it all interconnects down the line.
1: Yeah, I'm really, really excited. I think it's a similar idea to what we talked about with Brian Asher and his books of like having books that take place in the same universe, but aren't necessarily all related and aren't a sequential series. I think the difference is that with Brandon Sanderson's, you and I, obviously, we don't have the author to talk to himself, whereas we did with Brian Asher, but we also... You and I don't know enough about this Cosmere quite yet, so I'm not sure if all of the books take place in the same universe, but at different time periods, in different places. Oh, like, they
0: could be the same world, different millennia.
1: Right. Like, what if one's Ooh. a thousand years before the other, and like you can see like the origins of the magic in one book, and then how it plays out a thousand years later in a different book? Like, I don't know yet.
0: That's really cool. Ah, uh, well, you know how much of an obsessive rabbit hole we went down with King Killer content, so this could also our time
1: is now
0: <laughs> <laughs> anywho before we have a universe shattering mind meld, let's get into <laughs> our current rebellion heist, as I like to call it,
1: yeah, so our characters are having their own mind meld of their their own, their minds are getting completely. Uh, flabbergasted, you could say, by the fact that Kelsier has presented this plan to them. I love that Ham immediately just says, like, excuse me? Like, that's...
0: You want to do what? Right,
1: like, nobody really says anything other than that.
0: <laughs> All... All right, guys. <laughs> We're gonna rob and kill God.
1: <laughs> How do you even begin? Yeah. How do you begin? And so... they come up with the plan later, but as soon as as this plot gets stated out loud. Nobody says anything and then a few minutes later, Yidan's like, "Shit. I I kind of want to back out on my own idea now. Like it sounds ridiculous when you say it out loud." Mm-hmm. I can't believe that I want you to do this. I regret my decision, and the only thing that keeps them going is the fact that he's already paid them
0: 30,000 boxings, which seems like a lot, but for what they need to do,
1: it's b- pennies. Yeah. They need to raise an army. They have so many limbs to this plot that they need to finance and create and develop. And they need weapons, and they need food, and they need secure houses. And just so many things. Like, 30000 is nothing. That doesn't even leave room for profit.
0: Which is really sad, too, because didn't says it took them decades to save that much money.
1: Oh, I know. That's so sad. I think it's the 30000 boxings that's already been paid, and the fact that Kelsier needles at... Yeadon, how little the rebellion has actually accomplished in terms of tangible success. He's like, you know, you've been around the entire time the Lord Ruler's been around your rebellion, but what have you actually done? Like, the last time you did anything was...
0: It was like a couple hundred years ago, and it was like a small scuffle that got wiped out, like a couple hundred men.
1: Right. So, like, they're already fighting, but they are absolutely losing, which is what Kelsier said in the very first... Part yeah. we met him in when he's talking to the ga in the the prologue but that's uh that's really what all all that keeps him going everyone just slowly starts to agree to this
0: right where kelsier says the plan is simple what they need to do is neutralize the luthedel garrison break the city into chaos break into the lord ruler's estate to steal the atm reserve and Somehow...
1: Somehow that will all work out. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing about the ATM reserve is that this is the the bonus for the crew. So yes. Kelsier says, you know, we are thieves. We're really good about making plans. We're good about breaking things down into actionable steps. So this isn't unlike things we've ever done, but it's also not like anything we've ever done before. And if they can accomplish that, it's not the 30,000 boxings that's important because Dachshund does remind them all that it's good and charitable work. Like, they should care about this cause. But they will also get access to the Lord Ruler's treasure, which is this secret metal, the 10th metal, Atium, which is super rare and heavily guarded.
0: Atium is very important, and we will go over its abilities down the line when it's revealed, because I think that whole section... Deserves its grand reveal.
1: Well, so we don't know what ATM does yet. And I think part of the mystery of this prize, per se, keeps it more intriguing. Calcier does reveal that the Lord Ruler has a lot of it and he controls the market on it. So he knows that it's in stockpile there. So if they can get their hands on it, they'll be filthy rich. But... Breeze references the fact that, like, last time they tried to pull something off is when Kelsier got caught, and does Kelsier want to do things, do this plot all over again when it resulted in the betrayal and him getting sent to the pits of Hathsin last time? Right,
0: like, did you, you learn your lesson? This is a really dangerous game we're playing here.
1: Right, but Kelsier seems on board with it. I think... Having lost his wife to the pits of Hassan and having access to his misborn abilities now, he's very devil may care, doesn't necessarily have a self preservation motive. You know, he doesn't care if he lives or dies. He's gonna have nothing
0: to lose, everything to gain.
1: Right. I think he thinks he's gonna go down and he'll just take as many nobles as he can with him. And that's yep. sort of his his outlook on life.
0: And then like his mind be like, then it was worth it.
1: Yep. He presents this project, he says Yeadon will march his army, and they'll take the Lord Ruler prisoner, and then it's up to Yeadon what he's going to do. So they get their ATM, and then they get out, and that's really all that they have to do, Mm. theoretically. It's still an absolutely enormous plan.
0: Clubs definitely has some reservations. He brings up the Steel Ministry, aka the Steel Inquisitors. They are nightmare fuel, and... (laughs) Extraordinarily powerful and threatening, and other than the Luthadel Garrison, how are they going to compete with them?
1: Right. Ham also brings up something called the Coloss, which I cheated and googled because I didn't know what they were. I did like the quickest like glimpse at Google, so I don't one hundred percent know what they are, but they seem to be some sort of orc-like, non-human warrior creature. So that's something we haven't been introduced yet to in the book. I don't know where they live. We don't mm. know where they exist or if they're, like, owned by the Lord Ruler or not. But that's also part of this uh, conflict that they have. Kelsier's not really interested in the details right now. He just wants to know if people are in or out, and then they'll really work on their plan. People are pretty nervous, though.
0: And skeptical. And Clubs is just... He's not in it right now. He thinks Kelsier is a fool and that, you know, they're going to be going to their deaths over this.
1: So he leaves.
0: And this creates a lot of tension and it gets everyone double guessing. Even Breeze is like, this seems like we're in way over our heads. Can we even really do this?
1: But he gets persuaded with the fact that Kelsier sort of dangles this carrot in front of him of like think about how much of a good challenge it's going to be think of like the adventure and the fun so breeze agrees breeze agrees <laughs> breeze agrees. <laughs> <laughs> her breeze agrees
0: ham's still in
1: yeah vin is the last one to agree Which is surprising because people think she's just the Twixt. They don't think she actually needs to agree or not agree to their plan. Kelsey's like, oh, no, 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 she's not a Twixt. Because that's what Bree says she is. She says she's a new recruit. Marsh caught her soothing his emotions a few months ago. So, Ham's like, oh, great, yeah, I guess we can always use like another soother. But then Kelsior drops the bomb that she's also Mistborn, which is a big plus in everybody's mind of the potential power of their crew, even though Vin is brand new to to all her alimantic abilities. They see her as like a secret weapon of sorts, I think. One thing that's also revealed in all this all this dialogue and everything is that Kelsier explains that the pits of Haston are not just like a, a prison or like a torture place or people don't really know what they are. He reveals, though, that those are the ATM mines.
0: No one has ever escaped the pits of Hatson alive other than Kelsier. So they don't realize that's where the Lord Ruler is getting all his ATM.
1: So that gives this crew two advantages. One is Vin slash Kelsier being two Mistborn and two being they know where all the ATM is sourced. So they have one of the Lord Ruler's secrets and then two Mistborn on their team. So it gives people a little bit more hope.
0: And Kelsier says that he also has the 11th medal. They say it can be used to kill the Lord Ruler. I'm not sure what it does, what it is, if it works, if he knows how to use it, but there is certainly an ace up his sleeve, or so he lets people believe.
1: Right. So Kelsier says that he's going to kill the Lord Ruler. He reveals that as part of this talk about the 11th medal, which is very startling this is when ham says the lord ruler is the sliver of infinity he's a piece of god himself like how do you go up against that yeah Kelsier says that he heard of the 11th metal in the north where people still have myths and knowledge about time before this thing called the ascension which is when the lord ruler became the lord ruler and they talk about the 11th metal there as we're reading the book we're coming to learn that the 11th medal is completely uh, an invention of Kelsier's. I don't think it actually does anything, or I think it exists, but he has no idea how to use it or what it actually does. And he's building up all these rumors that are going around, and they start to swirl around amongst the Ska and amongst the nobles. And like people are really, as the book goes on, talking and talking about this 11th medal. And I think Kelsier is the source of all the rumors. yeah. So I don't know if he actually has an ace up his sleeve or if he's just building this web in a very Kvothe-like way.
0: He's creating the legend and the legend somehow become manifested into something real.
1: But I don't know if it's actually going to manifest into anything real unless the 11th medal can do something.
0: Right. So it's definitely a crazy plan. And even Vin thinks to herself, I've bound myself to a (laughs) madman. (laughs) <laughs> and she's not wrong.
1: It's definitely a risky business. As long as he teaches her alamancy and how to manage her new Mistborn status, Vin is cool with being in the crew, but she doesn't particularly think that they're going to accomplish this plan of theirs. She's just here for personal knowledge and personal growth about how to...
0: Control her powers.
1: Exactly.
0: So I'm very excited to see vin's growth and her becoming a more powerful misborn and navigate a life beyond a thieving crew and really just learn how to thrive and no longer survive
1: chapter five
0: so one thing i consciously try and keep aware of with each chapter is the alamantic insignia on the chapter cover as well as the snippet of information.
1: Yeah, the snippets really key.
0: Being the Lord Ruler before he rose to power. With this chapter, chapter five, the insignia is of a rider's Alamancy. So I'm gonna see if we can pick up on any clues if that's a hidden theme within this chapter.
1: Mm-hmm. I'd like to talk about the blurb for a little bit. So this one's talking about something called the Terrace Philosophers, which you and I know are Terracemen, and that their religion is the one that creates all the prophecies of this pre-Lord Ruler world, mm. and they created the prophecy that essentially like launched him to supremacy and to power. But one thing that I'm really interested in is this thing that he mentions in the blurb called the Deepness. And this is the enemy that needs to be destroyed. And it just says it ravages the world even now. So what do you think the deepness is?
0: So the first few chapters, I kept speculating that it was maybe like a blight or a plague or a monster, but now I'm really convinced it's the ash falls. That's something that couldn't be destroyed. And it's what's uh, ravaging the world.
1: Okay, so you think... I think he does destroy the deepness, though, right? Like, they talk about that's the reason why he is their, like, lord ruler is because he has destroyed it. But do you think maybe it's not actually 100% destroyed?
0: I don't think it was ever destroyed. I think his supremacy is, like, built on a lie. Okay. I think it was, like, you get enough generations of people that died. Histories, whatever's written, recordings are left behind.
1: Right, right. But I'm saying... There is something at this point in time called the deepness mm. that had to exist in order for him to be called upon, right?
0: Yeah, I still think it's the mists. I just don't think it was as problematic or all-encompassing as it is now, and that's just my theory.
1: Wait, the mists or the ash falls cuz those are different.
0: I figured they were one and the same.
1: No, because there's a different oh, blurb you're right, later the on these comes says out the, at night. The mist like clings to the lord ruler. I think he's the one that summoned the mists.
0: Hmm. Okay. The deepness, from what I'm sticking to for my theory, is essentially what has caused the world to be like covered in ash.
1: Okay. I think that sounds good. I know that they usually just depict it as a shadow when it's shown, like the Lord Ruler fighting the the deepness. So I think it's meant to be obviously this idea of evil.
0: <sighs> I know it's so hard. <laughs> we'll just have to wait and get more information, and I.
1: I'm really conflicted because I think that the Lord Ruler is simultaneously the hero and the villain.
0: I mean, maybe and Tragic th- Hero. He clearly failed, so if he couldn't win as a hero, he'll rule as a villain.
1: I meant more like whatever powers he has and why he's in the prophecy. I think he has some sort of ability, which might be the origin of Alamancy or something like that, that is both good and evil like I think he's simultaneously summoning maybe the deepness of the more his power gets stronger like unintentionally two sides of the same coin
0: that could be cool I don't know if I'm fully convinced on that but I think it's a cool theory
1: okay well we'll definitely circle back to it more as the book progresses but for now let's get back to Kelsier and friends (laughs) Kelsier
0: and friends do do do
1: that sounds so innocent for what they're up to Planning a murderous
0: overthrow of the government. do (laughs) do (laughs) do
1: There's a little debrief between Kelsier, Doxon and Vin is still there. And they're just hanging out in the bar, talking over how well the meeting went, who's in, who's out. They're nervous about the fact that clubs stormed out. One thing that is dropped in here that I love as just part of Kelsier's character is the fact that he's fiddling around with Cayman's bar. And he finds a false latch and a secret really good bottle of wine behind it. And he specifically says, never stop looking. There's always another secret. And I think this is something that's Vin internalizes hearing him, but also Kelsier repeatedly acts in this way throughout the story.
0: Mm. And I love that theme. And I know that's going to come up again and again. And it does at one point later on too. But during this interaction... Kelsier and Doxon have offered Vin something to drink. She's not having it.
1: No, she's too nervous And still. she
0: says to them, I don't like to drink anything I didn't prepare. I don't think they understand the uh, intensity of her upbringing and what she's had to endure, which explains why she appears to be so paranoid.
1: Yeah, she's definitely cautious. She does come out of her shell as the books go on because she is given so much power and freedom so it's nice to see her transformation. I think it's also a reason that the characters treat her as not only younger because she is, but they also look at her as a child, not in a maturity way, but I think in a protective way. They're all very protective of Vin as a member of their crew.
0: Definitely little sister.
1: For sure. One thing that they're talking about is really interesting here is that Kelsier says they need to get more ATM because he already used his up. And Dachshund said that it took them eight months to get the last little bit of ATM. Kelsey used it up organizing Oresor's contract. So I don't think I know what he's referencing here. I don't know who Oresor is.
0: No, it's definitely going to come into play.
1: But I definitely want to remember that name. Yeah. And then he also says he used the last other bit at Tresting's Manor, which is the event that happened in the prologue. So now we know how he was able to kill all the people in the manor is because we know what ATM does now.
0: Yep. What ATM does is it allows you to see what will happen moments before it happens, and it gives you essentially the ability to correct any potential mistakes in combat and get the advantage on your opponents.
1: Well, you can see where people are going to move even before they do it, or where they're going to strike. It's not just super speed the way you would think of like in the movies when people are fighting. It's, it's, it's described something- really well
0: in the book. You see like a shadow or after image taking place before you move and it gives you a moment to understand it. Your brain is processing at such a higher level too. Mm-hmm. So you can just calculate at the speed of thought. It's really cool how they describe this, especially in action sequences.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. I definitely really love the action sequences we've seen it in so far, as you and I have read ahead. And one thing that I think Brandon Sanderson was clever about is talking about what happens if you and your opponent are both using ATMs so you can both anticipate, and it just creates this whirlwind of shadow images that predict every possible thing, so then nobody has the anticipation. Quite a stalemate. Right, no one has an advantage anymore.
0: I love that it doesn't just cancel out, that there's like... Dozens of images. Yeah, and you have to interpret which one might be the choice that's about to be made. Mm -hmm. Awesome, awesome writing.
1: And it's a little bit of foreshadow because Kelsier hears he's saying he needs more, says, oh, well, it took us eight months last time to get something because we needed to be careful. This time we don't. That foreshadows the rest of the chapter and what happens here, but also what Kelsier is doing in terms of, spreading fear amongst the noble houses in anticipation of creating uh, a house war and a lot of paranoia throughout the city, knowing that there's rogue Mistborns breaking into other nobles' houses and creating a lot of confusion in this way.
0: Essentially, no one is safe.
1: Right. So we'll talk about that as he goes to do it later in this chapter. But first, surprise for everyone, Clubs comes back.
0: Son of a bitch, I'm in. (laughs) And I really love the fact that clubs put on this show of not wanting to be involved because he didn't like the idea of potentially being influenced by a soother.
1: But that's also interesting because he's a smoker, so he theoretically couldn't be influenced at all. So I think this is an indication to us as readers a mark of Breeze's power, the fact that someone who should be immune to it is still nervous about being influenced by him.
0: Right, that he is such a persuasive person that Clubs needed to reconcile his decision on his own.
1: I like that his his reasoning, too, eventually, is that Clubs has essentially spent his entire life trying to hide mistings from the Lord Ruler, and he figures he's going to get found out eventually, at some point, somehow, anyway. So (laughs) he says, at least this way, I'll be able to spit in his face as I go. Overthrowing the final Empire. It's got style.
0: Uh, awesome. Awesome sentiment. It's great that Clubs is now part of the crew. They fulfill a vital role. And I do love that he's into it, but he's not stoked about it. He's just still kind of a cranky guy about it.
1: I feel like he's even a little bit more enthusiastic, though, in terms of getting behind the plot for the sake of the plot. Mm. He's interested in overthrowing the Lord Ruler. Whereas Breeze, I think, is more interested in it for personal gain and the mental challenge. Like, he's up to the task, but I don't think he cares about the outcome as much.
0: That's true. Where Clubs is definitely in it for the greater good.
1: Exactly. And now we come to the end of their little meeting. Kelsier says that Cayman's crew, who is now not Cayman's crew anymore, but Me Love's crew. crew. Oh, you're right. Me Love's crew. <laughs> There's too many characters in that crew. Can have the lair back, and it's time for them, i.e. him and Dachshund, to go up to the roof to fetch some atium. There's a small aside here where Kelsier goes up to the rooftop, and he doesn't realize, but he says he had this old habit of going up onto rooftops or out into the night before a big job, and he looks to his side expecting to see his wife Mare there, and he's got empty space beside himself. It's just a very sad and somber moment, and I think we've only so far seen Kelsier be very upbeat and a little happy-go-lucky at times. So to get his introspective moments and the times when he takes that mask off and gets more to the heart of his motivation is really important for us to keep track of like where he's going as a character.
0: And like who he actually is and not the front that he's putting forward. Right. I do love that when they talk about that absence of Mare and how that negative space, the emptiness that she leaves behind is written as a physical attribute, it just really solidifies the loss within Kelsier.
1: It's definitely really poignant for him, and we learn a lot more about it later, so I'd like to let that reveal happen, but it's been teased at this point by Chapter 5 that There was a betrayal and potentially Mare was the one who betrayed him. And when we get Kelsey's side of the story, it's just really heartbreaking and tough because there's no closure. And I think that's why he still always looks for her, even though she maybe was the cause of his downfall. But there's a lot of ambiguity there.
0: Yeah.
1: But I love it. It's time for some action. Yeah.
0: And the action in this book. It's just written so well. It plays out like a film in my mind when I read it. And it's just so creative.
1: So fascinating the way that he uses the powers in tandem. I think that's my favorite part of mm. this whole thing. So Kelsier is up on the ledge. Dachshund comes up and Kelsier is asking like who he should try to hit to get ATM, which of the, the great houses would be a good target. The classic daredevil that is Kelsier. he says which house is strongest right now who would nobody consider hitting yeah he doesn't go the for the easy target he doesn't go for the house that has the most ATM he doesn't go for people who have recently gotten hit he goes for the insurmountable goal so docks and pauses says it's house venture they are really powerful they've been on the top for several years now so for Kelsier to attack them it's a quite a bold political move
0: So some of the force that this house holds are several hundred men and a good two dozen mistings.
1: That is a lot for one person to take on. Oh
0: my goodness, insurmountable.
1: I believe they're out of ATM at this point. So Kelsier has his full arsenal of Mistborn powers, but no ATM. He tosses on his Mistborn cloak, which we haven't talked about yet. It's the cover of our book, at least the paperback book. And it's these cloaks that are only for Mistborn. It's made out of all these ribbons and like swirls of cloth so that when they fly through the mists you can't see them so it's a very creative camouflage
0: oh i think it's so cool
1: and it's also like a mark of status of who they are
0: mhm and i love the fact that again parallels some of my favorite king killer stuff where just everyone loves a good cloak <laughs> And
1: Kelsier is very dramatic about putting on his cloak, flares it out, lets it swirl into the mists, and says, very much so, I think it suits me. Which is even more ironic the fact that he's only recently become a Mistborn, but he's just fulfilling this role. I think he very much sees it as his destiny to be this powerful Mistborn. It fits with his personality, it fits with their reputation as crew leaders from before. Like he's just always going bigger and bigger and bigger.
0: He's definitely. A powerhouse and enjoys that power that, or the prestige that the power brings him.
1: Mm. Well, time for that powerhouse to attack a house of power.
0: Yep. So next stop, <laughs> Lord Ventures Estate. Yes, Kelsey and- removes
1: all the metal off his body. He takes his socks and shoes off, and then brings with him a bag of coins and two glass daggers.
0: So cool. I wonder within this world how tough the glass is. For it not to shatter on impact or when fighting.
1: I would assume it's supposed to be like an obsidian blade.
0: Oh, that makes so much more sense.
1: Reimagining like blown glass?
0: Not necessarily blown glass, but like reinforced like thick glass, yeah.
1: I was picturing like small small daggers so that you could like use them for very close hand-to-hand combat.
0: That's smart.
1: But they're sort of a last resort, right? Like Mistborn are supposed to rely on their powers. Yeah. These are not necessarily their main weapons. Doxin and Vin watch Kelsier just fly off into the night, and this is where we finally get to see the full range of what Alamancy can do. I didn't really understand when I had first read in the appendix about the different Alamanic powers what the ones with the blue lines were doing, the pushing and the pulling of steel and iron, and how you can use them in sort of like reverse power with each other to fly through the air by pulling and pushing on different other metal objects and Kelsier just like flies off into the rooftops he's pushing and pulling on chimneys he occasionally tosses coins against the ground but he's he's almost using these like reverse vine swinging I guess you could say
0: yeah it very much reminds me of invisible spider-man swinging
1: yes it's very much like that so he just Goes off into the city in this way. So cool. Super cool. He enhances his senses at one point with Tin?
0: Yep. So Tin allows him to be able to hear and see through the mist. All his senses are heightened. And that's a good thing, but it's also a dangerous thing where if it was daylight, light would be very blinding, extremely mm-hmm. loud sounds would be extremely disarming. So it's a catch-22 with Tin.
1: I think all of them have that. You know, there's...
0: Yeah, benefits
1: no- and risks at the same time.
0: Yeah, no power set is perfect.
1: Kelsier ends up making it to House Venture with no problem. He startles a guard by like dropping out of the sky right next to him <laughs> and pulls out one of his glass daggers and kills the guard.
0: So he dispatches him very quickly and makes his way inside.
1: Kelsier's very anti-noble houses. He has no problem killing anyone associated with them. He is completely against this upper ruling class that's existed in the final empire uh he sees them all as oppressive and even scott who worked for them he thinks have sold out essentially and he's happy only i think when all all of the nobles will be dead
0: bad case of good intentions and i think it's a little overboard because eventually
1: well where's the morality of it right they're supposed to be the good guys
0: right and then if you keep this up like what do you even It what makes you different from the lord ruler
1: exactly I I see the idea of it, but I think it's a very dangerous attitude to have.
0: Oh, for sure. And as this book progresses, even where we're at, which isn't even that far from what we're going over now, we see uh, such a change in Kelsier that, again, parallels the Lord Ruler.
1: Hmm. I'm worried about him. <laughs> I'm definitely worried about where he's headed.
0: So back to Venture Manor.
1: So Kelsier gets there. At the time when I was reading this, I didn't realize that he was trying to start confusion and uneasiness among the great houses. But he actively wants to be seen and he wants to make a big ruckus when he's there. So after this first guard, he's getting attacked by two others. He goes, time to make some noise and like pushes them with his alimantic powers in opposite directions. And they just fly and smash into things and make all this noise. So it's so
0: funny because when I was first reading this. I was like, this is the opposite of heist time. <laughs> like, You're supposed to maintain a low profile. What are you doing?
1: Right, like, quiet in, get your goods, and get out. What are you doing? But once we learn what he's up to, it makes so much more sense that he's intentionally trying to be seen, make some noise, get people all riled up and nervous. So he makes it into the house. He goes through a balcony door. Dachshund had hinted to Kelsior that there was potentially a hidden safe Somewhere in the house, uh, approximately like three rooms in. So he's going through different rooms in the house. He goes through a conservatory that's got very fancy plants that are not just like the brown, bedraggled, skinny, scrawny plants that everyone else sees in the rest of the world. So they do exist.
0: So this is also just a great demonstration of wealth and misuse of resources that this world endures like everywhere else. Crops and plants are just barely surviving because of how ashy and terrible the environment is. And these nobles have these greenhouses for fun. It's sad to see all that just being like such a waste.
1: Yeah, such a discrepancy between the haves and the have nots in this world. Yes. So he goes to the conservatory. I think one thing that Kelsier notices about the conservatory is the plants because later you and I find out that he has this picture that he got from his wife of a flower, and he's really fixated on that as the idea of what the world should be and should have. So seeing the the beautiful plants in here, I think, is a reminder of him of like, okay, these things still do exist, but they shouldn't be hidden away just for the nobility. He makes it further into the house, gets into the study that's supposed to have the the safe in it, and there's a very obvious safe against the wall, but Kelsey was like, No, no. Again, there's always another secret. Ah, so good. So he uses his abilities to sense out a hidden safe inside the wall and he's like pulling and pulling and pulling. He uses pewter to enhance his his abilities. He's using. I love
0: that too. Like using the pewter, digging his heels into the floor and like yanking it out of the wall. Such a great yeah, combination of just rips it right
1: out. So he got what he came for. He doesn't check to see if ATM's in it, so he just is lugging the safe around (laughs) using his pewter-induced strength.
0: And this is where a bunch of guards clearly hear him and start storming the room.
1: I love Kelsier's devil-may-care attitude, though. Just sees all the guards. He goes, about time.
0: (laughs) This is where some crazy action takes place. Kelsier's using these guards' weapons against them.
1: Yeah, he rips one of the guards' swords out of his hand and using his alimantic abilities, the sword is flying through the air of seemingly its own accord, but Kelsier's controlling it. He's pushing and pulling the guards around using their breastplates.
0: Yeah, it's like wild. nobody is safe.
1: <laughs> nope. He takes care of those two very easily, ends up getting halfway through the conservatory, and then he is ambushed by a group of people called haze killers and haze killers are people who have been specifically taught to fight mistings and mistborns so they don't ever have any metal on them they're taught about all the alimantic abilities and how they work but they are not themselves misting or mistborn they're just highly trained guards kelsier has got his hands quite full at this point these guys carry dueling canes uh, or rods and they're attacking with those Kelsier's trying to jump out of the way. He throws his coins into the air and use those to smash into some of the Haze Killers, but it's not quite enough.
0: Yeah, these guys are very formidable. As they're continuing with this onslaught, Kelsier brings out a large a metal ingot, and this thing is wrecking people because he's swinging around like a missile, essentially, and it's just
1: like a block of metal, right? Yeah. Like, why is this in the house?
0: <laughs> I think probably for the nobility is like a sign of wealth, but for anyone who's not a misting, it is a threat.
1: <laughs> oh, it's uh, it's being used as a paperweight inside the study. Shouldn't have carried metal in your house. Nope. So yeah, he's very clever. He's got this essentially metal brick, I would assume, whipping through the air. He is very clever, letting it, like, hit people in the head. He twists behind some of the, like, haze colors that he's already hit and, like, whips it around them. Like, just very, very good combat. It was a really exciting read. I'm obviously not going to give, like, a play-by-play, but it ends with the ingot or something flying through the air and then mist slowly starts to come in. The way that Brandon Sanderson writes the combat, I thought was very creative It was really action-packed. My one complaint was that it was almost so play-by-play that I got a tiny bit caught up and confused about it. But on my second read of it, I don't think it was nearly as confusing because I also understood the allomancy a lot better and like what he was up to.
0: Mm, That's true. I do love how that scene ends, though, where the doors are open and the mist pouring in because he's literally mist-born.
1: Yes. So, Kelsey, you're just... Jumps out into the mists. The oh, what opened the door was the safe, I believe. So the safe got pushed out into the night. So he loses his safe for a minute. The one thing he came to find, Kalsier jumps out, and then he uses iron pulling or steel pulling to connect to the safe. Iron Some-
0: pulling, steel pushing. Okay, which I thought was clever with the iron pulling because uh, iron, nickel, and cobalt are ferromagnetic, meaning.
1: Oh, good point.
0: Again, just cool attention to detail when he was making his choices of this magic system.
1: I've never seen another magic system that works on metal. I think it's very creative.
0: Yeah, I like it a lot.
1: I really am super interested to see how much more it gets played with and developed as the book goes on. But yeah, he, uh, he connects himself to the safe. It essentially like he jerks down on it as if he's actually attached to it with a rope, but it's just his his powers holding yeah. him there. He catches himself on a windowsill, but then like yanks the safe down to the ground. And then Kelsier jumps out into the mists, stops himself just like before hitting the ground.
0: And then pushes on the safe to kind of like cushion his descent.
1: Right. It's so fluid. Like he's clearly mastered this very quickly already. Yeah. Uh, so he he goes to open the safe. We're not sure immediately if there's going to be ATM in it. And this is where we get a little bit of Kelsier's opinion, is that he says, even if there is an ATM in it, any time a group of noblemen dies, it's a successful mission. So that's that's his real motive here.
0: Yeah, definitely a little bit extremist.
1: I think he's going to get more and more extreme as the book goes on.
0: And that's, I think, going to be the problem, is who's going to actually be along for the ride and who isn't.
1: Right. And is it going to play out of Kelsier being like, people don't support me anymore, I put this group together and they're turning their backs on me? Or is it just going to be like everyone's slowly growing more and more extreme? Or is the group going to shatter and splinter? Like, there's a lot of possibilities for how this could go.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited to see where it plays out.
1: Me too. But he gets ATM, actually. There is ATM in the safe. He keeps his pewter burning because he actually is a bit wounded and tired out from this whole ordeal, and then he dashes off towards Clubs' shop, so... Clubs' shop is going to be used as the group's headquarters. Super useful. His mission was successful, not only for getting the ATM, but causing...
0: Fear, chaos, and rumor to spread among the noble houses and the people of Luthadel. Mm-hmm. A big part of this, too, is that Luthadel is the capital of the final empire. A major house getting robbed. attacked and ransacked within the lord ruler's capital it's undermining his rule and the safety of his land this is a big deal
1: well also theoretically all mistborn should be nobles so if a mistborn attacked your house it should be somebody from a different noble house it shouldn't be a ska there should be no ska mistborn according to the nobles
0: right so fingers of blame are going to be pointed in every direction from this
1: for sure, and that's a huge component of their plan moving forward. But it's also a successful night, like I said, in Kelsier's opinion, because he killed some noblemen. So <laughs> three for three on this one.
0: Yep. Got the gang put together, found another misborn among them, robbed a noble house.
1: Things are looking pretty good for the group yeah. at the beginning. I think we're so far into this episode that it, it's definitely a good time to stop, just do chapters four and five. And we'll adjust the upcoming chapters for the episodes because there's a lot more to talk about, I think, than you and I anticipated when we split up the chapters.
0: Oh, for sure. Which I'm loving because this is a really fun story to dissect.
1: It's really fun. There's not quite as many hidden tidbits as Name of the Wind potentially. We don't 100% know because we haven't read it all the way through yet, but it feels more plot driven than the Kingkiller Chronicles did.
0: Oh, for sure. And I'm really enjoying the amount of action in this book.
1: Me too. I think I think action is one of Brandon Sanderson's strong points as a writer. Now that you've pointed out, I think also his dialogue is very, very good. And one thing I like is that his writing is fairly straightforward. It's not overly flowery in the way that I know you and I like in Name of the Wind, but I feel like in a story that's this action-packed and plot-driven, that language wouldn't really mesh up as well
0: right descriptive verse is important to embellish but it doesn't always need to be a focus
1: right it's definitely more about what's happening in the world and i like it it's keeping me really interested and i'm glad that we decided to do this for season three i know i said that last time but i'm just really enjoying talking about it with you
0: i am too so listeners thank you so much for joining us for this episode and celebrating 25,000 downloads.
1: Oh, please don't forget to leave us reviews on Spotify, iTunes. Check out our website. I know we don't really always promote it, but please give that a check at fantasticbookspod.com. There's merch, there's book lists, there's ways to send us messages. And if you listen on Spotify, definitely check out the episode notes because we've been adding polls. So this week's episode, we did the favorite character poll and we're going to add another one for this upcoming episode so keep your eyes peeled for all of that and we will see you next week
0: next episode we will be covering chapters six and seven and until next time happy reading
1: thanks listeners if you're looking for more check us out at fantasticbookspod.com where we have book reviews, reading list suggestions, merch, and you can even send us a message.
0: Or find us on Facebook and Instagram at
1: Fantastic Books Pod. And if you like what you've been hearing, don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks! Thanks. Golden Rise Media.